Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment, incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week, and I'm Tom Barton. That's right, we are Wagering Week. Oh, boy, do we have a lot to talk about today. That is right. We actually have a date where sports are coming back, but... In this weird alternate universe, everything's jumbled up, so we'll get into that today. We have a lot to talk about. I got some NFL props I want to talk to you about, especially NFL Coach of the Year odds are out, and I got some strong feelings on this. You'll start to see the trend that I'm going in as we lead up to making some early prop bets in the NFL. I also have Defensive Rookie of the Year. I'll give you my pick there as well. So let's go through all of this here, guys. Facebook and Twitter, all the social media accounts. You can get us over at SportsGarden, G-A-R-T-E-N, 855, the number 4, G-A-R-T-E-N, iHeart, iTunes, any of our fine syndicated affiliates. That's where you can listen in. So I mentioned it. Listen, we have sports coming up. And here it is. June 20th, they will run the Belmont Stakes. Now, this is really, really unique from a horse racing perspective because June 20th, that's a fine day for the Belmont, but they would have already run the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness. Well, the Kentucky Derby is now going to be the second leg of the Triple Crown on September 3rd, and October 5th will be the Preakness. Guys, this is weird. This is absolutely weird. This throws an entire monkey wrench into the idea of the Triple Crown. And I know we don't talk a lot about horse racing here, but we always talk about the big three. Now, the big three are jumbled up. For those that are unfamiliar with it, Belmont is usually the third leg of the Triple Crown. So normally it's the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness. They run those two, and then you have the Belmont Stakes. The reason why Belmont is the third leg is for a few reasons. First of all, to win the Triple Crown in itself uh, is just a massive accomplishment. Massive accomplishment. But they set it up so it's very hard and very rare. The time off in between races is a massive factor. And then you are running. You're running these big races. You're getting your horse ready for these big races. Belmont is the longest track. So after you run these hotly contested, huge races, all the tension, all the uh, the excitement, then you go to Belmont and you run the longest race that most of these horses have ever run, and you get ready for Belmont. So that is why Belmont being third is so important. Well, it's not going to be third this year. And not only is it not going to be third, the atmosphere is going to be different. They're running the Belmont with absolutely no fans. They're going to have no spectators in attendance. Now... For anybody that's questioning if that's a big deal, uh, I think it's a massive deal. One of the things that I have always, I don't claim that I'm a horse racing expert, okay? But I have had an affiliation with horse racing experts for most of my career. One of the things that horse racing experts get asked a lot is, do you think the horse knows they're in a race? And two-way man, every horse racing expert that I've ever talked to, from trainers to owners to jockeys to people betting on it, said, of course they do. Of course they know they're in a race. Of course they do. Why do they know that? Well, there is just the excitement in the air. Think about a lot of you guys own pets, right? Think about your pet. You tell a child, I have a new puppy during the the coronavirus. You tell a child, hey, don't get riled up because you're going to rile them up. They feed off of your energy. Or, all right, time to settle down, shut off the lights. They feed off of your energy. If you're sick, maybe they're, maybe your dog doesn't leave your side. They feed off of your energy. 
Well, there's going to be a little bit of lack of energy in the building then. Now, you're still going to have the jockey and the people around them and the trainer. They'll sense that urgency. They'll sense that that idea. But without all the screaming fans and yelling, it's going to be a little bit weird for them. It's going to be a little bit weird. The New York Racing Association announced that not only will it be shortened, it's going from one and a half miles rather than the one and a half miles. So it's not really a true Triple Crown. You see horse racing fans already jumping out and saying, well, it's not a real Triple Crown even if somebody wins it. Okay, maybe not. But I'm glad we at least have something, something to look forward to and something to really kind of dig our teeth into. And that is the Belmont Stakes. It's going to go off. Now, Pimlico is going to be the third leg. This is more of a problem. Josh Newman, uh, who uh, uh, we know uh, many, many times, he speaks his opinion on on Twitter. Josh Newman said, Pimlico is a dump and shouldn't be deciding anything. Uh, a lot of people are believing in that as well. You know, it's not only that Belmont. All right, you could maybe you could live with the fact that Belmont is there. But what is going to be the third race? What happens if that horse that is going to win the Triple Crown uh, is now aiming at Pimlico, doesn't it lose a little bit? Doesn't that lose a little? Now the next question comes up. What about how many horses? Normally, a lot of horses sit out of this race. Well, it's been a grueling race. They went to Pimlico. They've gone to Kentucky Derby. It's been a rough stretch for them, a rough couple of months. Um, If you're winning, well, that's great, but if you're not... It's rough. It's a lot. So they pull them out of Belmont, and the Belmont field is usually very, very low. It's usually at least half of the horses that start off. Well, Belmont this year is the first race, and it's shorter, and there's no fans. Well, do we think that there's going to be a 20-horse field? I'm not sure. I would think it would be. I would think that if you're going to get into this, you'd almost have to make it a 20-horse field going into this position. So we have that. Then we turn around and we we kind of look at the the good of this. Well, the good of this is that we still do get the Belmont Stakes. We get something where last year Sir Winston won, he won $53 million. Well, well, the Belmont Stakes uh, all sources handle was $53 million. The handle on the card Last year was $102 million overall NYRA, a record for non-triple crown year, $102 million. Now, this year's purse drops from $1.5 to $1 million, but all indications, and just my idea here is all indications and everything that we should be looking at, this should be a record-breaking Belmont. I know it's a triple crown. It's not going to be a triple crown. I get all that. This should be record-breaking because people don't have anything else to bet on. I think everyone's going to be betting on this race. So there are some good. There are some bad. Let's get into uh, just a little bit of betting angles, shall we? We know 1973, classic moment of Belmont Stakes. Uh, Secretariat dominates and, and wins it. He's got the fastest time in the history of the Belmont Stakes. That was huge. Okay. 2007, Curlin. Yeah, that was pretty big as well. Belmont Stakes... There's an upper limit of 12, but now all of a sudden, are they going to move that? So there's a lot of questions coming in with this. I'm not saying that it's it's not a good thing. There's a lot of questions coming in. What are we looking at? 
Betting angles-wise, I think you have to look at a couple of things. Number one, I think you have to look at horses that are potentially going to be in bad weather. Obviously, New York in late June could be a little rainy. You have to look at that, and you have to factor that in. You have to look at horses that are ready to go. Not a lot of these horses are going to be amping up, which is going to hurt the, the sports better, hurt that horse racing expert, and hurt everybody because they're not going to be able to use their expertise. They are not going to be able to sit back and use what would make them and give them the advantage. Well, watching their field and watching them run and watching the direction, they're not going to be able to do that. So you're going in basically now betting more on what you project and you hope rather than what you've seen with your eye. Well, that's a negative there. You also have to think it's going to be a large field. So as opposed to other Belmonts, like I've said, as opposed to other Belmonts, yeah, let's think about this. The field itself, you got to pick a horse that's used to running in a pack. So let's talk about the odds real fast. I'll give you the odds as of now. This comes from uh, Dave Mason. Dave Mason puts these out early. This is the opening odds. Tis the law, two to one. Charlatan is two and a half to one. Nadai, three and a half to one. Honor AP, 14 to one. Dr. Post, 16 to one. Soleil Volante, 18 to one. Wells Bio, 22 to one. Basin, 25 to one. Farmington Road, 25 to one. Governor Morris, 25 to one. Max Player, 25 to one. And Modernist, 33 to one. What I can tell you about Tizzolo, who is the favorite right now, he's undefeated in two starts at Gulfstream Park this year. Um, the Curlin Florida Derby and the Holy Bull Stakes. Currently second on the road to the Kentucky Derby leaderboard. Uh, you have to remember Gulfstream was closed to spectators during the Florida Derby March 28th. That's big to me. That's a big nugget of information. He won a race at Gulfstream Park. It was one of the bigger races. And it was closed to spectators, so he understands how to do that down in Florida. Tis the law. There's no absolutely no value on him at 2-1, to one, but something to keep in mind. So that's it, guys. Listen, Belmont Stakes, June 20th, September 3rd, Kentucky Derby, October 5th. is a Preakness. Well, what about some other news with the coronavirus? Well, it, it's all good or all at least leading down a good road. Hard Rock Casino is taking hotel reservations for Thursday, March 20, uh, May 28th. It's pretty good, right? Hard Rock in Atlantic City. May 28th, they are accepting reservations. The Florida Marlins are allowing their 40-man roster players to return to the spring facility in Jupiter, Florida, and start working out. Now, what can they do? They're able to use the batting cages. They're able to throw off the mound, uh, the clubhouse, and the rest of the facility. They're going to remain closed. Workouts are optional. Um, they're not sure how many people are going to actually participate. But the Marlins are getting ready for games. That's that is is more good news. So let's just keep saying more good news and more good news, right? This is what where we're at with the coronavirus. We want to hear it. New York State Governor Andrew Cuomo, who I've had my problems with, well, he is ready and willing to partner with major sports teams that are interested in playing games safely without fans. He even specifically mentioned the Yankees, Jets, Giants. Uh that's a little bit different than what Boston has said, Boston has said Fenway Park will be closed until September. So you do have some negative. California Governor Gavin Newsom said Monday professional sports games will resume in the state without fans starting the first week of June. That's pretty good. The exact quote says, sporting events, pro sports in that first week of June or so without spectators 
and with modifications, very prescriptive conditions can move forward. Texas Governor Greg Abbott said the same thing. He said his state will allow games without fans beginning May 31st. So this is what we're doing here, guys. I mean, the biggest states that are hurt, and that's why I'm talking about New York and California. Um, the biggest states that are hurt, the biggest states that that this will states that this will impact, all are saying May 31st, June 1st, right around that time. Yeah, let's get up, let's get going, and this is what we're gonna do. I mean, that's that's what we are talking about right now. All good news as far as the coronavirus goes. Rockets owner. Tim Fertitta told President Donald Trump on Monday he thinks that the NBA season will resume. There's a lot of hope in the community that the NBA said, I think we would play games just to get it going and create the interest and then go right into the playoffs. I think if things keep going the way they're going the last few weeks, Adam Silver has done a tremendous job, and the 30 owners, I think they'll make a decision to try to start the NBA season up again. Ladies and gentlemen, you may have been in lockdown, but... It's looking more and more like it is going to be fast and furious and just an amazing run here for sports. So that is where we sit. Look, Major League Baseball, there's no brand new news other than the idea that they are gearing up. They're basically saying, and I've said, listen, well, I was on the air days after the shutdown happened, right? Uh, well, one day after the shutdown happened. And on that day, I said, all the things I keep reading, all the things I keep hearing, I think July 4th is when they're going to come back. And all I continue to hear now is the progress made by all of these leagues pointing at, okay, we could sort of open up in June. Let's get it going, get these athletes back in their shape, Take a, whether it be a spring training or, or two-week camp or whatnot. They're all saying about July. Doesn't July 4th make a lot of sense? Welcome back, America. Think about the, the hoopla, the grandeur that it will be. Welcome back, America. I'm still thinking and I'm holding out hope. Last week I was not so optimistic, but I'm holding out hope now. I'm thinking that things are going to get better. I'm thinking things will get better in a hurry. That's in America. Now let's talk about the Canadian aspect because there is a Canadian aspect in the NBA. There's a Canadian aspect in Major League Baseball, but it's very minimal. The NBA is one team. It's the Toronto Raptors. If they needed to make that a, a position where they move Toronto to a different place, I, I think they could get away with it. I do believe that Major League Baseball could move the Blue Jays to a different stadium, could move the Blue Jays to a different situation. I think they could get away with it. The National Hockey League cannot. They can't get away with it. So the NHL has come up with as a 24-team playoff. They want to come back and... They are dying to come back. They are on so many different restrictions, though. First of all, the Canadian border is closed. You can't get into Canada. The Canadian border is closed, not just from America, but from Europe, from everywhere. Oh, by the way, let's talk about Europe. Half of those places you can't get into or out of. And there's a lot of foreign players, as we know, in the NHL. I think it's a logistical nightmare. But the NHL, they're trying to push for a 24-team playoff. 24 teams in the... It's basically... A field of 64, let's go. But I understand it. And I'm going to defend the NHL here for a moment. I understand it. Because they're facing a billion dollar shortfall in revenue. So the more teams you have involved means the more revenue you have involved. Oh, by the way, the teams that they're trying to push in, Montreal and Chicago, two of their bigger markets for revenue. So I am not blaming them 
in any way, shape, or form, guys. I think the NHL is in a position where they're trying to do anything they can. The amount of money, whether you stand on the player side or the owner side in any of these situations, it doesn't matter what side you stand on. Understand that they're losing money. Even if you're a billionaire, losing a billion dollars sucks, okay? If you're a millionaire, losing a million dollars sucks, right? Losing a thousand dollars sucks, okay? Listen, it doesn't matter. So understand that these guys, they are losing money. These owners are losing money. They're going to do anything they can. They're going to get creative. Major League Baseball is dying to come back. The big sticking point is the Players Union, which is one of the strongest unions in the country. I think that they have have to. Look, I'm not telling you that they are, are not wrong. They don't want to take 33% off the top and then 50%. I'm not telling you the players' union is wrong, but I'm telling you the perception from the public, the perception from the public will be devastating if baseball doesn't come back because of the players' union. It'll be devastating. People will side with the owners. Okay, so baseball has to come back. The NBA, it doesn't have to come back, but all of the people that I'm hearing from are twofold. There was a committee with LeBron and CP3 and all, and Durant. They had a committee of the superstars of the NBA saying, we want to come back. And you have big-time owners like Mark Cuban and Fertitta turning around and saying, we want to come back and we think we will. Well, you're hearing from the most outspoken owners there. You're hearing from the most outspoken players. I think they have to have some kind of leverage in the league. So I think that they come back. The NHL was the one I was worried about. So they have to get creative. They have to get creative. There are plenty of NHL fans out there that seemingly, throughout my broadcasting career, don't care about you. They don't want new fans. They don't care about new fans. They're NHL loyalists, and they don't care. I get that. And you don't want a 2014 playoff, and it'll be a tainted Stanley Cup. It may be a tainted Stanley Cup. You may be right, but in the totality of it all, at least there'll be a Stanley Cup. And ladies and gentlemen that have futures plays and you're holding futures tickets, do you really care if it's tainted or not? Do you care if that championship's tainted if you're cashing a check, if you're cashing that ticket? No, you don't. Oh, no, you don't. As long as you're cashing, you don't care if it's tainted or not. Give us sports. I don't care how creative you have to get. I don't care if you throw names in a hat and rearrange everything. I don't care. Give us sports. And I think this is a day where it's all good news. We're moving forward with sports. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick time out. Come on back. Lots more to talk about, including coach of the year in the NFL. I got some good thoughts. I'm going to give you my pick on this. All that and more right after this on Wagering Week. Now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I bet you 20 bucks I can get to gamble before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? What are the odds? That's right. I've been teasing it all day because I love it. I love to talk about Coach of the Year. I have the odds for Coach of the Year over in the NFL. Well, let's take a look here because this gets really interesting. You have to remember, and I've said this multiple times, so listen, if you're listening to me and you're going, Tom, you talk about it all the time. Well, I do because I want to hammer it into your heads. I want to hammer this into your heads. When you're betting on something that's tangible, 
touchdowns, yards, touchdowns in a game, outcome of a game, score, point spread, over, under. And when you're betting on all of the tangible things in life, it's tangible. There is a very, very much a yes or no. Did you win or not? Did he get there or not? Now you could get bad beats. You could have this. No, no, no. At the end of the day, it is it is on paper. It's a win or a loss. They won by this many or they didn't win by this many. He got this many touchdowns, he didn't. He got this many yards, he didn't. It's very cut and dry. You're basing it on performance that you could watch with your own two eyes. When you're betting on awards like Coach of the Year, more than just numbers go into it. It is voted on. How did that guy do? How did that coach do? How do I believe? So you have to take in situational situations. Circumstances mean a lot, okay? You lose your starting quarterback in week one, he goes down, uh, and you come back and you win the Super Bowl with a backup. Chances are you're going to be coach of the year. That's a circumstance you could not foresee in a sports betting world. That's a circumstance that you have got to understand is out of your control. Why? Because it's voted on. And those are circumstances that happen. And maybe you don't. Maybe, maybe you don't. Maybe you lose that starting quarterback. You go on to win the Super Bowl, and they give it to somebody else. Because, well, Super Bowl doesn't count. Playoffs don't count when you're talking about coach of the year. You have to understand this is voted on. So when we're talking about voted on, there is also the idea of what makes a good story. And I am not a tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theorist, even though there clearly is aliens. Uh, but ladies and gentlemen, I think a lot of this is kind of a popularity contest. I think a lot of this is kind of, you know, who do we want to win? Who do you want to see get it? Who do we want to be elevated in their career? Right? There's a clear agenda. There's a clear pushing of guys. The league wants Sean McVay to win. By the way, the league gave a $500 million loan to Los Angeles Rams this week. Uh, I, the Rams better better fill those, <laughs> those seats, man. They got a brand new stadium, moved the team, and now they're asking for a loan. Don't you wish you had a friend that could just give you $500 million? Anyway, right, the league wants to push guys like Sean McVay. It's a good story. It's a good story to watch an Andy Reid win it. It's a good story. There are certain people that are good stories. So let's talk Coach of the Year, and I'll give you the odds. Bill Belichick is leading the way at 10-1 to 1 odds. Hmm, wow. That's weird. Bill Belichick, who, yes, may be the best coach in the history of the NFL, and I would go as far as to say that that's an unquestionable situation. He's he, We should be winning the Belichick Award instead of the Lombardi soon. But yes, Bill Belichick, 10 to 1 leading the way. Uh, the odds makers know what I know, that if Belichick performs well, he's going to win the award because it's a good story, isn't it? He loses Tom Brady, potentially the greatest quarterback, potentially the greatest player the NFL has ever seen, and he loses Tom Brady and he still wins games, wins the division, potentially wins the Super Bowl. I mean, uh, Belichick's going to get it, and he's a good story. Uh, that is a great story. 10 to 1 odds, he's leading the way. Kyle Shanahan at 16 to 1 odds. Shanahan's a guy that the NFL likes. They're pushing an agenda. The Niners are really good. Went to the Super Bowl last year. Mike Vrabel, 16 to 1. Look, this, this is terrible odds for Vrabel. I don't think anyone thinks that Ryan Tannehill and the Titans were as good as they looked last year. I don't think anybody believes that Vrabel and the Titans are a team that should be third in the Super Bowl quest. But Vrabel, all of a sudden, out Belichick, Belichick in the playoffs. He's a guy people are like. They want to root for this guy. 
He beat Belichick. He out yelled Belichick, Belichick. I love it. He's going old school. He's got a lot of traits that you like. So his odds are terrible, but that's because, well, if he does really well, people are going to jump all over him. He's a good story. Bruce Arians, speaking of good stories and people you want to root for, Bruce Arians at 20 to 1. He's got Brady. He's got Gronk. Oh, he wears a cool fedora, and he, you know, he's, got, he's got that attitude. People love Arians. People are going to love the Bucks. Bucks money is rolling in all over the place on the Bucks wins, on the Bucks Super Bowl, on the Tom Brady. People love the Bucks. Arians is going to be up there. Kingsbury. Oh, yeah. You want to talk about a guy that's getting no value? The Cardinals are not a good team, guys. Okay? They may go 8-8 eight and eight this year. But Kingsbury is on top of the list. He's only 20-1 to one odds? Kingsbury's only 20 to 1? Yeah, because if Kingsbury does something with Murray and that team, people are going to want to give him the championship. They're going to want to give him this award if he comes close to the championship. Hell, everyone's obsessed with the guy's living room, right? I mean, how many things have we've seen about him with that living room? So 20 to 1 here. Here's another 20 to 1. Mike McCarthy. Here's the problem with Mike McCarthy. It's the Dallas Cowboys. You know, McCarthy can take the Cowboys and do well with them, but so is everybody else. I mean, Mike McCarthy is, I would say, not a likable guy. I don't mind him, but he doesn't overly seem like the guy that they want to give it to. So he's got the same odds as Cliff Kingsbury. Sean McDermott. Sean McDermott's a good coach. The Bills are a good team. Bills are an escalating team. But the Bills aren't coming out of nowhere this year. So yeah, he's 20 to 1. Frank Reich is 20 to 1. Frank Reich's a guy everybody likes. Frank Reich's a guy, he's got Philip Rivers. He's got the best offensive line. He's got a winnable division. Frank Reich at 20 to 1 odds makes some sense, ladies and gentlemen. He makes some sense. But he's also in a division with some superstar coaches. Andy Reid is also 20 to 1. Well, Andy Reid has always been known as one of the best coaches in the league. He's got the best player in the league as of today. He's got a Super Bowl trophy behind him. Andy Reid is not going anywhere. He could dominate. Would it shock anyone if the Kansas City Chiefs go 14-2 and or 15-1 and next year? And how do you keep... Uh, the Chiefs go 14-2 and in that division. 15-1 and in that division. And they're the AFC bye week. They, they, they get it all. Would it, how do you keep that trophy and this award away from Andy Reid? How do you keep Coach of the Year away from Andy Reid? 20 to 1 odds. That makes a lot of sense. I expect that, by the way, to start getting some massive money. Kevin Stefanski from the Browns is 20 to 1. What the hell are we doing, ladies and gentlemen? Now, the Browns are talented. Is this a. I mean, I'm talking out loud here. Is this a situation where Kevin Stefanski has the same odds as Andy Reid because the bar has been set so low for the Browns? Whereas, as. What do, what do the Browns have to do? And let's talk about this. What would the Browns have to do for Kevin Stefanski to win Coach of the Year? Would a eight and eight finish get him that? Ah, uh, no, 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 it wouldn't. All right, would a wild card nine and seven record get him Coach of the Year? I don't think you could give it to him at nine and seven. I know how the season unfolds and everything. I, I'm just saying on surface, Aaron. I don't think he can. I think he's got to win the division. And to win the division, he's got to overcome Lamar Jackson, the MVP of the league in the Baltimore Ravens, with, oh, by the way, a hardball there. He's also has to overcome the Steelers, 
and been begging coming back. I, I think he's got to win the division. So you're taking a 20 to 1 odds shot at the Browns winning the division. I don't like it. Speaking of Harbaugh, he's got less odds. 22 to 1. Listen, I think what Harbaugh did last year deserved to win the coach of the year. I think he took an offense that was stale. He took a player that uh, I'm going to get crushed for this comment, but I think a player that is still not what he showed last year. I'm sorry. Harbaugh made him as much as he made him. I like Lamar Jackson, but he did. I think Harbaugh could have won it last year, but you know, do, do they give it to him here? I don't think so. Sean Payton's the same kind of thing. What would Sean Payton have to do to win this award? We know the Saints are going to be good. We know the Saints are probably going to win the division. We know the Saints are probably going to be the Super Bowl favorites. We know that the Saints are going to put up great numbers with Drew Brees. But Sean Payton, what does he have to do? Doesn't he have to go like 14-2, 13-3 to win this award? It's possible. Sean Payton at 22-1 is possible. Vic Fangio. Now, I kind of like this, but I don't love the odds of 25-1 to 1 here for the Broncos. I think Broncos are going to be good. I think they are they are an improved team. I don't know if they're going to give it to, to Vic here. Brian Flores, 25-1. to 1. What? Not that I don't like Brian Flores. I do a lot. A lot. But we have to ask ourselves a question again. What do the Miami Dolphins have to do for Brian Flores to win this award? They got to win the division, right? I, I mean, Miami won a handful of games last year. You can't give Coach of the Year to an 8-8 eight eight guy. You can't give Coach of the Year. I don't think you can give Coach of the Year to somebody that goes 9-7. and seven. I just don't think so. Can, has it happened? Will it happen? Look, we could go back and forth. I don't believe you can give Coach of the Year to somebody that goes 9-7. and seven. think you got to win 10 games. Anybody believe the Miami Dolphins are winning 10 games? I'm high on Miami this year. I don't think they win 10 games. And they may win 10 games, and they may still be a third-place team with 10 wins. I just can't see the path for Brian Flores. Sean McVay is in a similar situation. Now, Sean McVay has a, a similar situation, but he's got a clearer path. The Rams get rid of Todd Gurley. The Rams got rid of Wade Phillips. Two massive mistakes, in my opinion. Massive. Rams got rid of Cooks. Massive mistakes. They lost a lot. People are writing them off. I'm one of them. So if the Rams do compete in that division or win that division, in a division with the Super Bowl participant from the NFC in that division, and Russell Wilson in that division, and Kingsbury and Murray in that division, if they do that, I can see the love of McVay, everybody falling all over themselves with McVay. But once again, you're asking yourself to... Take on Kingsbury and Murray and beat them. Beat Russell Wilson consistently. And then beat the Niners. I just don't see it from the Rams. Zach Taylor, 25-1. to 1. Here we go again. This is the same thing as the Brian Flores. I think he could have a good year. I think the Bengals will be much improved. But what does he have to do to really get on the coach of the year train? I think if the Bengals become a wild card team at 9-7, maybe this is the path to 9-7. and seven. But again, we're talking about, do you give it to a third-place team? They'd have to leapfrog over the Browns and the Steelers or the Browns and the Ravens or the Ravens and the Steelers. They'd have to be a second-place team at the least, at the least. Speaking of that division, what about Mike Tomlin? Mike Tomlin's 25-1 to as well. Steelers have a good team coming back. Tomlin is consistently underrated as a head coach, consistently underrated as a head coach. I think if they do well, a lot of the praise will be on Ben Roethlisberger. But you have to look at what Mike Tomlin's putting out there. It is conceivable. It is very conceivable 
that the Pittsburgh Steelers may put out the number one defense in the NFL next year. You combine that with what the offense can do. We may be looking at a situation where they have a top three defense, top three offense. If that happens, Mike Tomlin's in the conversation. Pete Carroll, 28-1. to 1. Carroll doesn't really get the recognition. Uh, again, you're in a tough division, tough situation. A lot of praise will come on Russell Wilson, but it's not a terrible odds of 28-1. to 1. Anthony Lynn, 28-1 to 1 with the Chargers. Yeah, sure. I mean, if you're going to win with a rookie, you've got to be in the conversation. Once again, are you believing that Anthony Lynn could overtake the Chiefs? You can't turn around and tell me, that a second or a third place team is going to get all that much love. It can happen, just don't think it does. Doug Peterson, 28 to 1, makes a lot of sense. I think the Eagles can win that division. I think Doug Peterson comes back with a healthy team. People will start looking at him as the genius that they thought he was two or three years ago. I think he did a phenomenal job, by the way, last year with coaching. And Doug Peterson is a guy at 28 to 1 that makes some sense. Ron Rivera with the Redkins, I, I won't take a, a guy that I never considered. Look, I like Ron Rivera. He's an ex bear. I never considered Ron Rivera a tremendous coach anyway. And now he's going to a bad team, and it's year one. I don't like that combination. Matt LaFleur for the Packers, 30-1. to Um, Look, he got some love last year. I don't think he did as well. If you look at the stats, you look at the numbers, and you watch the games, Matt LaFleur is a guy that I think was generally outcoached at times last year, but his team won. I don't think they're going to have a much better year. Dan Quinn, Falcons is 30-1. to 1. Not much to say there. I, I I don't think he's going to be in the conversation for Coach of the Year. Mike Zimmer, 30-1. to 1. He just seems to never be there. John Gruden at 40-1. to 1. I think the Raiders will be good, uh, but good doesn't get you this award. Joe Judge, 40-1 to 1 from the Giants. Yeah, same thing there. Matt Nagy's an interesting guy. You want to take a shot and roll the dice at 40-1? to 1. Everybody loved him two years ago. If he turns around and he can take Mitch Trubinsky and turn him into something viable, if he could turn around and take, uh, you know, the offense that people have just been beating down and turn it into something viable, maybe. But he didn't look anything like it last year. Matt Rule is forty to one. Adam Gase fifty to one. Oh, that, that's a bad bet. Doug Marone's fifty to one. I think Gase and Marone are, are hanging off of their jobs. Bill O'Brien fifty to one. You want a guy? If Bill O'Brien wins the division, he may win Coach of the Year. He won't win executive of the year, but and Matt Patricia fifty to one. So that is your lineup. Look, who do I? Who's intriguing to me? None of these guys. You might want to throw a, a buck or two on Nagy if you're really looking for a real long shot, but I don't like it. Doug Peterson at twenty eight to one makes some sense. I believe that the Eagles are going to be good this year. They have the potential to be very good. People already want to like. Peterson. They want to give him the crown of the next guy. They enjoy that. He is a good 28-1 to 1 stab there. You're looking at the early guys. Look, Belichick, Shanahan, Vrabel, Arians, Kingsbury, McCarthy, McDermott. I don't like any of them. Frank Reich maybe at 20-1. to 1. Maybe Frank Reich at 21 makes sense. I'm not going to talk you off of Peyton at 22-1, to 1, but I don't love it. So, comes down to my last guy, and this is the guy that I like the most. Again, you can make an argument about Peterson, but the guy I'm really going to make an argument about, and I'm very high on the Pittsburgh Steelers this year, is Mike Tomlin. I, I, I alluded to it quickly. I believe that there is an absolute path to the Pittsburgh Steelers being a massive team this year. There is a path that they are the number one defense in the NFL. And by the way, I am no Pittsburgh Steelers fan this is just what I see. I think they have two of the top five best defensive players in the league on their team in Watt and Fitzpatrick. 
when you add Big Ben back into this team, Connor and Snell running behind Juju and the receivers that stepped up like Deontay Johnson and whatnot last year, and now you have Ben throwing to them with a good offensive line, it's not out of the realm of possibility that they are a top three defense and a top three offense. That's how good I think that they can be. Now, it's all on Big Ben's health. And remember, there's also the idea of do they want him to win? Tomlin's been, I guess, underappreciated most of his career. But if he's able to knock off Lamar Jackson in that division, continue to push down the Browns and what they do, yeah, this is interesting. I believe that 25 to 1 will not be available for a long time. So I know that I'm high on the Steelers, and I have been critical of Tomlin in the past. I think Mike Tomlin, this is the year to show everyone. You don't have a team that has massive expectations. You're not even supposed to win your division. But you have the team in front of you that I see a path to big things. And I'm going to stop short of saying Super Bowl because of the guy in Kansas City, Mr. Mahomes. But do I see the Pittsburgh Steelers in the AFC Championship game? Yeah, I can see that. I can absolutely see that. A lot of it depends on the Big Ben health. I get it. We talked about that when we talked about Comeback Player of the Year, and I gave you Big Ben. I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to stick with Mike Tomlin here. I'm doing a lot of futures plays on the Steelers, but their odds are just too good. Do I think Tomlin wins it? Probably not. Do I think 25-1 to 1 odds is tremendous odds in this spot? Yes, I do. Now let's go bet to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet, bet to, to the future. future. All right, Bet to the Future brings us to Defensive Player of the Year. And Defensive Player of the Year odds, they get all over the place. We've touched on it a couple of times, but the odds are they are a moving, right? That's how we're, we'll talk about that. Look, Aaron Donald's still the leader in the clubhouse. He's plus 750. Khalil Mack is 11 to 1. Nick Bosa is 14 to 1. Stephon Gilmore, 15 to 1. TJ Watt, 15 to 1. JJ Watt, 18 to 1. Von Miller, 18 to 1. Derwin James, 20. Bobby Wagner, 23 to 1. Daniel Hunter, 23. Joey Bosa, 25. Chandler Jones, 29. Darius Leonard, 29. Fink Patrick is 29. Uh, Davius White, 29. Demarcus Lawrence, 33. Clowney, 33. Jamal Adams, 33 to 1. Miles Garrett, 33 to 1. Um, and I could continue to just give you them all. Look, I wanted to mention this because T.J. Watt is just continues to still be a tremendous value. A tremendous value. Um, the early odds had T.J. Watt uh, sitting there at about 17 to 1. He's down to 15 to 1, and I believe that it's going to continue to fall. So I wanted to keep showing this. I've seen him as low as 12 to 1, by the way. You can still get a lot of 15s out there. He finished third in last year's voting. Okay? Uh, Gilmore and Chandler Jones were 1-2. He's gotten better each year. He's gotten better each year. I think he should have won last year, number one. I think he was the, the best. Look, I, I'm, I can't get down on Gilmore uh, what he did but I think Watt was more of an important force for what we've watched. I would argue that he should be maybe the favorite. Maybe the favorite here. He's gone up from 13 to 14 and a half sacks. Okay? He's increased his sack total. He's increased his tackle total. He is a better player. 
And that was on a team that was, I'm not going to say bad, but look, the defense was on the field quite a lot. T.J. Watt is a guy that I have already invested money on. I told you guys I already invested money on him. And I think that we have to look at him and say, yeah, we can continue and we should continue to invest money in T.J. Watt. I did want to bring up one point about Khalil Mack, though. And the point is this. Hicks is back. Mack is a massively different player with Hicks on the field. And now they also have Robert Quinn. You look at the idea of when they're pass, rushing the passer and you have Hicks, a healthy Hicks, by the way, Mack and Quinn, and you start to get into a situation where you go, that is really scary. That is really, really a scary situation. And if you're talking about scary situations, yeah, scary situations, big plays come from scary situations. Big plays move the needle when we're talking about, again, people that are turning around and betting on these things uh i'm sorry are voting on these things and you have to take that into account when you're betting on these things that there's voting so mac is still dangerous to me but tj watt is my number one guy he's the guy i already put money on i told you guys that it would continue to fall i want you to get on it now it went from 18 to 15 15 in some spots it's already 12 this is going to get to about to 10 to 1 by the time we go off so get the value now if you like Watt. Get the value and jump on him. All right. Want to keep with the football theme here. And this week we've started to hear some more rumors about what's going on with Aaron Rodgers, what's going on with Russell Wilson, and where they may land, what's going on. Look, Russell Wilson was dangled in a trade. It was dangled in a trade. We cannot go past that. And Aaron Rodgers basically said he doesn't think he's coming back with Green Bay. So I start to turn around. I start to think to myself, okay, if that's the situation, where would they land? So let's just have a little fun with this. They're going to play on their teams this year. It's 2020. They're playing it. 2021, probably both of them will be on their teams. And now, remember, they're escalating ages. Russell Wilson, 31 this year, be 32 next year, which means in 2022, when I do believe both of them will be playing in a different spot, when 2022 comes along, Russell Wilson's 33, playable age, but it's certainly older, and Aaron Rodgers is, let's just say it, over the hill. So where do you think maybe these guys will go? Well, let, let's let's talk about some of the possibilities. You have to think to yourself, who took a shot, swung, and missed at a young guy? A team like the Bengals, maybe they missed with Burrow. A team like Miami, maybe they missed with Tua, right? Um, these young quarterbacks that by the time you get there, you never know. Look at Winston. Look at that situation uh, with Mariota. You could move on. So we have that. I think it's very, very hard to go out there and bet or prognosticate or even imagine that a guy is going to completely fall on his his face the chargers situation you have a lot of wrong young rookies so those are all possible scenarios then you have the idea that big time guys could be leaving and maybe a year early maybe there's a trade a year early and i'm not talking about 2020 2021 
they would be getting them right before the contract. Wilson's contract runs out, and, and Aaron Rodgers will just be owed too much money at that point. Uh, they'd have to make a decision between Love and Rodgers by 2022. That's why I'm talking about 2022. Wilson is up, um, and Rodgers, you're going to have to make a decision for 2022. But by 2021, can anyone turn around and make a deal early? There's a few teams that you can go out there and you can say, sure. Uh, a team, to me, like the New Orleans Saints makes a little bit of sense. A team to me like the Tampa Bay Bucks makes a little sense. Imagine going from Brady to Rodgers if you're the Bucks, right? That transition can certainly be an interesting transition. Going from Breeze to Rodgers, right? These are transitions that certainly can be in the cards, but they'd have to get out in front of it sort of early, right? Now, I think when we're turning around and we're looking at things like this, you have to look at logistics and you have to look at the realities. So cap space is hard to determine. Who falls flat on their face is hard to determine. But the fits are not always that hard to determine. We sort of have track records for a lot of these guys and a lot of these teams. So wild teams like, and I'll throw the three teams in the middle here, wild teams like Minnesota, the Bears, and the Lions, for example. Minnesota, the Bears, and the Lions should all or probably will all be in the market for a quarterback for 2022. Minnesota has Kirk Cousins. His contract runs out. So they will have all of that Kirk Cousins money to go spend on their next guy. I don't think they signed to Kirk Cousins to another another deal at that point. I think they let him run run down. They have a ton of money and a ton of cap space to throw at someone. The Minnesota Vikings, would they turn around and throw it at Aaron Rodgers? Well, they did it at Brett Favre. Would they throw it at Aaron Rodgers? Well, they, you know, would they throw it at Russell Wilson? Very potentially. But I think the Minnesota Vikings are in a position where their window is now. Dalvin Cook, uh, not going to be in the same guy in a couple of years. Thielen, not going to be the same guy. They're not a young team up and coming. Their defense is already showing massive signs of wear and tear. I don't know if they're going to be in that win-now mode for 2022, if you're the Vikings, to take a shot on aging, very expensive quarterbacks. So Minnesota, it makes some sense. The Minnesota Vikings have some reasons to be in this conversation. But overall, they shouldn't be in the conversation. I don't think they're a realistic destination. The Lions are in the same kind of position. Matthew Stafford, there were talk, there were there were talks this year that they were going to move on from Matthew Stafford. They were going to go draft someone. But if you're the Lions, you're probably going to want to go young, right? A lot of these teams that are going to be bad, and they're going to be replacing somebody in 2022. They want to go young. They want to build for the future. You got to be in a unique position to take a 33 or 38 year old. You have to be in that unique position of we think we can win right now. Tampa Bay Bucks think that they can win right now, so they went out and they got Tom Brady. They think they can win right now. Okay, a team like the Bengals, no, hey, we're not going to win right now. We're, we we would never want Brady, kind of thing. So the Lions, do, does anybody believe they're a win right now contender in 2022? I don't. There's a chance they might extend Stafford at that point. So the money could be there if they let Stafford walk at that point. The money certainly could be there. I just don't think that the team mindset is there. I haven't seen that from the, this Lions team. I have not seen that from this Lions ownership, management, coaching staff, that they are willing to say, okay, we're going all in. They're still in a division that is very tough. 
The Lions are just a, a weird organization to think that that would happen. And that brings us to the Bears. 2022, the Bears will have money at the quarterback position for sure. Foles will be gone. Trubinsky might be gone before that. Trubinsky might be gone next year, right? So Foles and Trubinsky will be gone. They'll be looking for their next. But again, don't you want to go get your next quarterback if you're the Bears that is young? Go draft them. Make it a long-term thing. Now you look at the Bears. They've always, always bungled the quarterback position. I don't think that there's any chance, I mean zero chance, that Aaron Rodgers goes to the Chicago Bears at 38 years old. I don't think that there's any chance that that happens. Is there a possibility that Russell Wilson does it? Well, listen, he's played, played in Wisconsin. It's not like he couldn't handle that city. He is a really good fit for Chicago. It makes a lot of sense. But Chicago Bears have been notoriously, notoriously famous for not giving giant contracts to big-time players. Now, they got one with Mac. Maybe things are changing. They went out and spent stupidly on Foles. Maybe things are changing. Okay? I just have a hard time to believe. And Russell Wilson, at that point in his career, he's going to be one of the top five highest-paid quarterbacks. So the Bears are kind of off my list. There are possibilities. I'm not telling you that in the next couple of years that these things won't change. Maybe Miami's on the verge of something huge and Tua gets hurt and they go, ah, Russell Wilson's kind of the same kind of quarterback. We're going to throw Russell Wilson. Maybe. Maybe the Saints go out there and they get aggressive. But I'm looking at it for the, my best landing spots. And I was asked this. Where do I think Wilson and Rodgers will land in 2022? I do believe both are on different teams. I believe Aaron Rodgers finished his career on a different team or he retires. I've said that he should retire for two years now. I think that Aaron Rodgers' body is banged up. So retirement's possible. But I was asked, where do I think they're playing in 2022? I think Rodgers' ego makes him hang on longer than he should. And I was asked, where do I think Russell Wilson? Look, I never believed that Russell Wilson would ever leave Seattle. I thought he was a lifer. But if he's being dangled on his last contract, and he's going to be three years older, unless you think... If Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers win a Super Bowl in 2020 or 2021, they're not going anywhere. But I don't have Seattle winning a Super Bowl this year. And I don't have Green Bay coming close to a Super Bowl this year. And I highly doubt that I'll have either one of them win the Super Bowl in the next two years. So where do I think? Well, I'm going to give you my two picks. I think the two biggest spots are the Raiders and the Patriots. And all you Belichick haters, hold on a minute, because it could get worse. The Raiders um, are the most likely destination for Russell Wilson for me. The Raiders are in a position right now, they're opening up a brand new stadium, so their stadium is going to be filled no matter what. Everyone's going to go see it. I'm flying out there. I'm going to go see it. Coronavirus be damned. I don't care. I'm going to go see the new Raiders stadium. They're going with Derek Carr. All right, that's all fine and good. Now, there was a lot of talk that they should draft somebody. And potentially next year in 2020 when they go draft someone for the future. That's very much out there. But I think the Raiders are kind of in the position where, all right, we know we have a long-term deal. Let's just ride this out with Derek Carr as long as we can. I think he'll play effectively enough that you can see him be the quarterback in 2021. But enough is enough at that point. Now you are two years in Las Vegas. That city is loving their NFL. 
You need a poster child. Aaron Rodgers at 38 years old with John Gruden makes a lot of sense because John Gruden is going to do backflips over him. Oh, I love Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers this and Rodgers that. And the older guy with all those young receivers that they just drafted this year and Josh Jacobs still carrying the rock, it makes some sense Aaron Rodgers would go to the Raiders. I just don't know if Aaron Rodgers is a Vegas kind of guy. He's a California kind of guy. I don't know if he's a Vegas kind of guy. And he'll be able to kind of pick and choose at that point. So I think it's Wilson. I think Russell Wilson is a Vegas kind of guy. I think his wife would love that town. And I think Russell Wilson has his head on his shoulders enough that he can be the face of that franchise at 33 years old and take it until he's 38 or 39 and be the face of that franchise and really be the guy in Las Vegas and be Las Vegas's number one guy, the number one football player. It's going to be Russell Wilson. I mean, I absolutely believe he's got that in. So if you're asking me who do I think and where, I think Wilson winds up with the Raiders. That means you have Aaron Rodgers left. And I said it. Aaron Rodgers to the Patriots makes all the sense in the world. Bill Belichick knows he can win with an aging quarterback that has skills. Aaron Rodgers is aging. His skills will be deteriorating, but not completely gone at that point, of course. Aaron Rodgers doesn't have to be mobile anymore. Not under what Bill does. And the thing about Aaron Rodgers is he never wanted to be a leader. He's a bad leader. Brady was a great leader. Well, you know what? When you're in Bill Belichick's world, you don't have to be a leader because he's the leader, (laughs) right? You don't have to be. Just be one of the guys. Just be another one of the guys. I don't know if Aaron Rodgers' ego can take that today. I don't think they're a good fit today at 38 years old, not making uh, the playoffs or, or... Barely making the playoffs for the next two years. And then love comes in. You don't think Belichick will use that as motivation? Use that to get Aaron Rodgers fired up and ready to go? Get him pumped up? Yeah, I think so. So I think we have to start thinking about a world where Aaron Rodgers does not retire a Green Bay Packer. And he said it himself. He's alluded to it all offseason saying... He kind of doesn't think so. And then the Packers sort of told all of us, we're not sure. I'm not saying that they said we definitely don't, but we're not sure. We're not sure if Aaron's going to be here 2021, 2022. We don't know. And Russell Wilson, well, it's kind of far-fetched to think, well, Russell Wilson you know, might not be a Seahawk, but the writing's on the wall. You go back to the contract conversations, and you start to think about that. You start to think about where Russell Wilson might end up. I thought that was an interesting topic. I got asked about it. I gave it some thought. The more thought that I gave it, the more it got interesting. The more thought that I gave it, the more it went down. I went down that rabbit hole, right? I went down that rabbit hole and I started to just say, yeah, you know, where could they be? Could they be here? Could they be there? Does it make sense for them to say here? Does it make sense? Oh, by the way, just another point on aging quarterbacks. Uh, Jay Glazer from The Athletic said he believes Taysom Hill will be the guy for the Saints after Drew Brees retires. So I mentioned what Sean Payton might do, where he might look, and I know everyone believes that you know they're they're not going with Hill. Look, Jay Glazer thinks he is. No smokescreen. He's the guy, said Glazer when asked, answering a question. Sean Payton loves him, but it's not just him. He loves him. The whole team loves him. Everyone loves him. 
Uh, he's a bigger Lamar Jackson. Hill's 30. You know, next year, Hill's going to be the guy. Is this them talking it up? I think there's some of that. I think there's some of that. But there is something to be said about a quarterback in this league with this new way of playing where you run, you pass, you're exciting. I mean, there's there's something to say about that, combining that with Sean Payton on that fast turf. Do I believe Taysom Hill is going to have a lot of success in the NFL? Uh, probably not. Do I think that Sean Payton thinks that he will? Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with Jake Glazer. I don't see them making this move. You, you, you are sitting here in a position where I think we all know Drew Brees is leaving. The options are going to get limited. Taysom Hill's on the roster. Maybe Taysom Hill is the answer there. Real quick for you fight fans out there. Found this interesting on Twitter last night. <laughs> Thought it was pretty good. So Francis Naganu uh, posted a picture of himself. I have to describe the picture. He, he's hulking over, and you can see kind of from the top of his head and his shoulders, and he's got his tongue out a little bit, and he says, Hello, Johnny, are you still there? And tagged uh, jo- at Johnny Bones. John Bones Jones said, first, you could save the rest of your tongue pictures for your other homies. And yes, I'm right here. Just waking up from watching that Derek Lewis fight again. You ain't scaring nobody. I saw your heart. You're a big old mouse. I'll expose you. So a little bit on the fight scene. A little bit uh, getting a little testy out there in Twitter universe. You got to love it when you stumble across stuff like that in fighting. All right, guys, that's it. Look, lots of good news about the coronavirus. Belmont Stakes is on everyone's mind. We are rolling right along, getting closer, everyone. I hope everyone stays healthy out there. Make sure you're uh, doing all the protocols to keep everybody healthy and everybody around you healthy. We are getting closer to sports. I'm Tom Bard for Wagering Week. We'll be back, and you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be a part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARDEN. That's 1-855-442-7836. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com.